the stuff that's going to differentiate you is truly expert insights that are meaningful to your audience, that help them during their buyer's journey. The reality is like, yeah, you can go have somebody produce that content for you. And we do that for our clients, but the insights have to come from your people and their expertise. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks, and welcome to episode 24 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Today, we're talking all about B2B marketing. Our guest is Joe Sullivan from Gorilla76, a B2B-focused marketing agency in St. Louis. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know this is not the first time we've talked about marketing. Not too long ago, in episode 19, we talked to Corey Smale about what B2B industries can learn about marketing from the B2C space. That was uh, all based around things Corey has learned as a marketing manager for a beer brand called Stag. But today, it's more focused around B2B strategies, tips, and where to get started. So, what are the three things you can expect from today's episode? Well, first, we're going to talk about marketing in general, myths and misperceptions around B2B. And then as we get further into the episode, we'll talk about the type of content you can create as well as the metrics you should be looking at to evaluate the short-term and long-term effectiveness of your marketing efforts. Second, and this is where we really get into the meat, Joe will share what it means to build an industrial marketing roadmap. We'll cover budgeting, looking at internal marketing resources and leveraging things like agencies. We'll dive further into how to focus on the big picture first before diving into specific tactics. Then finally, we're going to illustrate these with some great examples that Joe has. Then lastly, we'll talk about content creation itself, specifically in terms of content creation as knowledge extraction. This might be the most important thing from the episode because we'll talk about how any type of B2B organization can start creating content today. We'll get into conversations around social media, podcasting, as well as some great examples where companies have leveraged content marketing to yield some good long-term results. As always, if you want to learn more about Gorilla76 or if you want to connect with Joe or learn about his new podcast, The Manufacturing Executive, more on that soon, you can always find all the resources from our episodes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. To go straight to this one, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 24. While we're at it, if you're enjoying the show and want to share your love of Manufacturing Happy Hour, we'd greatly appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. You can do that on your phone, on your computer. You'll get taken right to Manufacturing Happy Hour on the Apple Podcast platform. It's really easy to leave that five-star rating. You just hit that five-star button, but a review doesn't have to take long either. It can be as short as one or two sentences, and that feedback really helps us know where to go with the content on the show, and it also exposes the show to more manufacturing leaders like yourself. 
And with that, that's enough for this week's intro. We are going to dive into our conversation by first talking about some Midwestern craft beers before we get into the meat of it with Joe Sullivan. All right. Well, let's jump on in. Joe, it's exciting to have you here. It's exciting that you're back. You were just venturing around Wisconsin, correct? I was, yes. Yeah, I'm a, a Milwaukee native and wound up in St. Louis years back for college and kind of made my home here. But uh, my family's all up in Wisconsin. And so we, we get up there a few times a year to, to visit and vacation during the summer. So vacation was a little different this year, given the circumstances out there, <laughs> but made the best of it. Sure. You and, yeah. you and I basically have an inverse background because yeah. I grew up in St. Louis, then made my way up to uh, Milwaukee for college at Marquette yeah. um, before I dove into the industrial sales and marketing world. So cool that our paths crossed and uh, also inverse style. I've got myself a Milwaukee beer in front of me from Lakefront Brewing today, and you are drinking what I feel like is a signature Divided Sky Rye IPA for you from Four Hands in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, probably my favorite brewery here in town, uh, Four Hands. So, uh, and this is, yeah, I think one of their best. So, representing in St. Louis. I would go as far as to say that's my favorite brewery in the world. Actually. Is that right? I no, just okay. think they're, they're just very balanced. They like yeah. do, they've got a lot of good sessionable drinks. They have uh, some that get more extreme, like their peanut butter, chocolate milk, stout, yeah. absence of light. Like they cover the spectrum and they just, they just do it all really well. And they're like, like many breweries, they're a really good community member as well. Yeah, so I would agree. Great spot, great tap room. Hopefully, we'll get a uh, a chance to enjoy beers and tap rooms like that again. No kidding. But uh, before we get too far, Joe, I want to make sure I introduce you to the audience. Mm -hmm. So, our guest today has been making his mark on marketing for well over a decade. He's the founder of Gorilla76, an industrial marketing agency that helps mid-sized B2B manufacturers identify, attract, engage, and drive sales opportunities with ideal fit customers. Most recently, he launched the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, a show focused on conversations with passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Joe Sullivan to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Good to have you on the show, Joe. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. I, um, I've, I've stumbled across you online a number of times over the last <laughs> year or so, and, and finally we got to chat recently, so good to be talking and, and publicly. So <laughs> Yeah, it was a coincidence. You reached out almost the same day I was chatting with uh, Corey Smale from uh, um, working with Paps Brewing and Stag, a popular beer brand in St. Louis right now, and coincidentally, episode 19 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. But yeah, he mentioned your name, and I think that's when you and I connected, because you just launched, like I said, your, your podcast which we'll uh we'll definitely get into today but to mm -hmm. take it back just a second you know i always like to start things off in happy hour style fashion so yeah. we've been talking a lot about four hands brewing in st louis a, a favorite spot of both of ours so let's say we're kicking it there under normal circumstances and a ceo from you know some b2b company comes up to you and he or she is like you know joe my company has great relationships we really have a relationship driven sales model but i just can't get marketing for to work for me is it even worth it in the b2b space you know how do you answer that question as if you're hanging out at a bar with someone yeah that's a great question to ask uh you know i i think what i what i see across most of the mid-sized manufacturers that we serve is 
I see very sales driven organizations, um, companies who, um, you know, have invested a fairly small amount in marketing over the years. And, and for the most part, it's been trade shows and brochures and, you know, marketing is thought of as more of an expense that's about, you know, supporting sales as opposed to a wing of the organization that is, is, you know, there to help attract and engage the right people from the right companies. Um, and so I think the, you know, where, where the conversation naturally always winds up going is toward this idea of um, differentiating you th yourself through your expertise, uh, publishing insights that will help you get discovered by the right people and engage them and, and eventually lead the sales conversation. So a lot of times it's that there may, there may be a marketing component to business, business development for, for a manufacturer, but they're doing it in a very old school way and not thinking of it as a driver of business, but as just one of these things you kind of do to maintain your brand. Well, you said some, some powerful things there. Um, mm -hmm. And, and what what come across as some misconceptions around marketing. One of the ones that sticks out the most is where you said people viewing it as an expense. Like mm -hmm. it's it's shocking that it can go that far down the spectrum where it just people start assuming it's just something that they need but doesn't necessarily do anything. Mm -hmm. But but that said, out of those things you mentioned, or maybe it's something else. I mean, what is the biggest misconception around marketing that you might like to clear up? Yeah, I think it's it's that. Um, you know, that marketing is, is just sort of this thing that's there to, um, to support sales or to, you know, maintain a credible brand or, um, you know, it's just, there's a, the, the wrong perception of, of what marketing does or the limitations of marketing and mm. companies just, they're not thinking of it as a vehicle for, getting in front of more of the right people for, you know, taking the expertise in the brains of engineers and, and sales um, professionals inside your organization and, and then getting it out in front of more of your total addressable market. And so when you can shift that mindset, you know, there are a lot of sales organizations that do sales really well in a consultative way. They sell complex things. They sell, you know, million dollar or hundred multi hundred thousand dollar you know, pieces of equipment. And, and so the sales cycle is long and it's consultative and it's complex. And the best salespeople know how to, you know, how to do sales in a consultative way, but it just never, that mindset it very rarely finds its way into marketing. Marketing continues mm -hmm. to be about, you know, me, 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 this is, this is who we are and what we do and why we're awesome and why you should buy from us. Um, as opposed to, you know, these are the issues that we see people like you experiencing. Here are some, some ways to address those things. These are the things that, you know, we see companies like you trying to achieve. Here are ways you can do that. Here's one way to do it. Here's another. Um, so it's, it's taking, flipping marketing on its head and making it a, um, you know, a, making it about being a resource, a helpful resource to your buyer mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, I would say blasting a megaphone in their ear about yourself. Well, I think what you, you highlighted on a couple things in the last two answers that I'm going to highlight for the manufacturing leaders that listen to this show, because we have people that cover the spectrum. Some are CEOs, some are operations managers, some are individual contributors, but you know, I think, Everyone, especially if they're within a smaller, mid-sized manufacturer, sees the challenges with marketing. I'm not going to say 
most manufacturers struggle with this. I mean, I probably could say over 50%, but let's say many manufacturers struggle with this. Um, but one thing you said right off the bat is like getting that expertise that people within these companies have and getting that out. And I want to get into that here in a little bit. But first, you had also mentioned marketing can be thought of engagement that leads to sales conversations. And one thing that I saw when I was preparing for this was something that you and Gorilla76 do really well with your clients is that you help them develop an industrial marketing roadmap. Can you put some definition around us and walk us through what that roadmap typically looks like? Sure. So the industrial marketing roadmap is essentially a, uh, you know, a, a term that we branded or um, you know, sort of a productized service. And it's the way that when we're mm -hmm. working with a, a company, we um, uh, it's, it's a consultative process we go through up front, but really the idea behind it whether you're doing it with us or, or doing it yourself or with somebody else's um, to take a look at, at kind of the big picture. A lot of companies jump straight to tactics. They say, Hey, we need to do print advertising. We need to do pay-per-click. We need to go to, you know, these trade shows. And um, you know, the, the reason we created this process is to start by taking a look at, you know, kind of creating focus and taking a look at who are the best opportunities out there for you or what types of companies are, are the best opportunities who are your most profitable customers? Um, you know, where, where can you win based on what you're best at doing and then mm -hmm. creating focus? Cause everybody we talk to says, you know, well, you know, it's hard to do that because we serve, you know, we do business in 12 different verticals and we've got these huge customers and we have these small ones and we have some products that are very custom and others that are like commodities that you pull off the shelf. And, um, and I get that because it, it's true for most most companies out there. But mm -hmm. um, the roadmap is about starting by creating some focus and making a conscious decision about where to channel some of your marketing and sales energy over some period of time. And so we usually say, let's let's pick a couple focus areas. Let's identify what those companies look like at a, an organizational level. Um, you know, what are the, you know, how big are those companies? Where are they located? What do they buy from you? What do they value about you? And then who are the buying process influencers inside of those organizations? You know, engineers and technical professionals are often the ones who you're going to encounter first because they're out there trying to solve a specific problem. And then there's, as you, you know, move up the chain, there's plant managers and engineers and, you know, other engineers, there's procurement and the C-suite. And so it all starts with identifying who you're trying to reach at a company and a human level, and then building a marketing plan around the things those people care about, the problems that they're experiencing, um, the things they're trying to achieve, the triggers that lead them into the buying process. Um, if you can dial in on all that stuff, the message and the content you need to produce to speak to all those things becomes pretty clear. But mm -hmm. a lot of people don't start that way. They start with the tactics um, as opposed to starting with the problem your customer is trying to solve and then building a marketing strategy around that. So the roadmap is kind of about setting you on that path um, as you build a marketing plan. Well, it's funny. I feel like, especially, you know, because we we both focus in the manufacturing space. It's it's almost the exact same thing when you're trying to solve an operations issue as well. You jump straight to the technology first when really it's about people and processes before that. And it seems like you get the same thing in, in the marketing side where people jump immediately to the tactics like pay-per-click and social media and, and those type of activities before taking that step back. And 
like you said, narrowing that focus. Who are those buying influences? What are the one, two, three things you do really well? And then going into the tactics from there. Yep. So I'm curious, you go through that process. I love that. If let you're talking, you're working with a lot of midsize manufacturers. If, if I, if I'm understanding this right, you know, how do you recommend they start building a budget around like an action oriented marketing plan? Cause you know, I think a lot of times the, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the marketing budget is really towards one or two people on the marketing team, but not much else beyond that. You know, what, when it comes to allocating resources in that capacity, and if I'm taking too many steps forward, let me know, but I'm, I'm curious about that budget standpoint, because I'm sure that comes to mind for a lot of manufacturers when they're trying to figure out what to invest in. Yep, absolutely. It's, um, you know, what, what I always like to do when we go into one of these processes, um, or as you start looking at, you know, the, the potential marketing investment is you kind of have to start by looking at what resources you have internally. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, there are times where we'll engage with a company who they, they've got nobody in terms of marketing staff, you know, they might be a $25 million manufacturer, but they don't have a single person on staff in the marketing department. It's more common mm-hmm. that there might be one or two Sure. from time to time. We'll see, you know, there's one client we're working with right now that's got a team of six and in, in their marketing department. And they, uh, so they've got a lot of the skill sets you need. And as a result, the, a lot of the work that can get done can happen internally versus say going outside to an agency like ours or freelancers or whoever it might be. Cause there's probably a component of your budget that's people. And then there's media, you know, there's mm-hmm. the, the money you're going to spend with Google or LinkedIn or, you know, various media sources. Um, and then there's, you know, potential agency or, um, freelancer budgets to, you know, run your campaigns to help you create your content, uh, whatever, whatever you might be doing. So I think you need to start by looking at what internal resources you have that could handle some of it, but you need somebody to quarterback it, somebody who really understands strategy. Um, so, you know, budget wise, uh, I I don't have a recipe, but you know, I, I see a, I see a mid size manufacturer, you know, often spending, maybe 75 to 150 K over the course of a year outside of internal staff, you know, to really make a dent. So, yeah. And, and it's not necessarily the specific number. It's more like you were saying where it's like, look at what you have internally and then outsource from there. Cause like you just said, you were working with a client has six people. They probably have, you know, more resources to take on exactly what they need to from a marketing standpoint internally versus if you go somewhere that has like one or two, well, you're probably outsourcing some of that, you know, particularly the things that aren't necessarily the main strength. You got Um, it. And I like the direction you were going that because I'd love to put a bow around this part of it with, you know, what type of examples do you have? You walked through your marketing plan process. You talked a little bit about budgets. What does this look like when you uh, work with a client? And if you can illustrate it in terms of a recent story for our audience, I think that would really help them put it all together. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I would say that the process, what it'll often look like is kind of gave you the, the front end of that, right. Creating some focus on, uh, and figuring out where you're going to, you know, allocate your resources, what type of company or type of customer you, you're going to channel your, your energy into, um, from there where we'll often take it is, you know, we, we start by, okay, we've, we've identified this type of company and these are the buying process influencers. And these are the things these people care about. We often kick things off. Like we're doing one of these on Thursday with a new client where we have a full day 
content strategy workshop. And this is something you can do internally yourself. Mm-hmm. I've got some resources I could share in your show notes to so you know companies can even do this on their own. But um, you get the you get those people, those experts from your company in a room, and you start generating ideas for content that would help uh, address those problems and issues and goals that you know you've identified for those most important customers. Um, and you start sort of assigning content ideas. How, how could we answer this with a written piece of content or a, a short video or you know a, a, an audio piece of content like a you know a podcast episode like this? There's so many ways to produce content. And when you create this bank of assets that are are helpful in nature, they're they're resources. They're not talking about you. They're talking about you know the customer's issues and how to address them. Now you've got all the assets you need to run an inbound campaign, an outbound campaign, a paid media campaign. Um, and so from there, it, it's a matter of doing that. We'll say, okay, well, let's let's write this piece of content here, this big pillar piece of content, and we're going to target you know these keywords with the piece so that we can hopefully start ranking in Google searches. And that's the, the longer play, the inbound marketing play, which takes time to develop. And then in the short term, we're going to build a list of a thousand companies or a hundred companies or depending on, you know, what that, that particular segment looks like. Mm-hmm. And we're going to deliver this helpful content right into their inboxes. We're going to tell LinkedIn or some media source like that, you know, Hey, LinkedIn show this piece of content, this short video or this article to people with these job titles from these specific companies or these types of companies and these, you know, industries and now what you're doing is you're amplifying the reach of all these resources in front of all the right people. And from mm-hmm. there, things start to happen. All of a sudden, you, you're, you're gaining more visibility. Traffic to your website from the right type of people is growing. Um, and, and naturally, sales conversations sort of start because you don't know which of these people. They're going to buy on their own schedule, right? And some of them are further along in the buying process. Others aren't even there yet. But now you're, you're you know creating a process where you're going to be top of mind for them when they do have an issue come up or they're mm-hmm. you know, entering the buying stage. So process-wise, that's that's kind of how it'll often look. You know, a, a great example, by the way, I've got to imagine those are pretty cool looking whiteboards by the time like that session is all done with all the different ways because it's it's expertise repurposing in a lot yeah. of ways. Like you were saying, blog post, video, podcast, like you can – you know, do this like 10 different ways to Sunday at this point. Yeah. You know, once, once you've done all that and a company's getting into this, I've got one more question for this segment of the interview that, that comes to mind. It's like, do you think companies get put too much emphasis or not enough emphasis around like metrics to measure the success Mm. of all of this at that point? Because I've, I've hear both sides of the coin, like you want to generate leads. Yes. But at the same time, not everything can be measured by a new opportunity that turns into a new deal within a month of putting out that content. You know, what do you what do you typically say to something like that? Yeah, I love that question. And it's it's a it's sort of this raging debate. And I've even I've over the last year or so, I've seen um, I've seen different takes on it that, uh, you know, I, I feel like 10 years ago, for example, it was a situation where, you know, not as much was measurable, like analytics software was still a little bit primitive. It was getting better mm-hmm. very quickly. And then we reached this point a few years ago where, you know, everything had to be measurable. And, and, and you know, if, if this thing, if I can't tie this thing I'm doing to revenue quickly, then we shouldn't be doing it. And now we're almost taking a step back and saying, okay, hold on a second. I think there are two sides to what you need to be accomplishing with marketing. And one of them is what you what I would describe as 
lead generation marketing. And the other mm -hmm. one is really brand marketing. And they both play a really important role. And so to give some context to that, um, you know, there are things that you're going to do as an organization on the marketing and, and sales front that are just not, they're not going to turn a, a tangible result in the short term. You know, if you think about search engine optimization, you can get some wins quickly and, and content marketing, but the, the real goal here is to establish yourself as the thought leader in your space, to be, to take all that expertise and publish it while your competitors aren't doing it, because now you're, you're going to be out there as, as the one who's educating and, you know, earning trust and attention. You know, you think about things like speaking engagements or a podcast like this, right? There, my mm -hmm. guess is you didn't generate 50 leads in the, after five episodes, right? It's a longer term play. And, you know, the, the, the amount of people start watch or listening to it or watching video content, like it builds over time. Um, there's not gonna be a tangible metric that ties to revenue every, every with everything you do there. And then the other, the mm -hmm. other thing is, um, you know, a lot of the companies we work with, they they sell, you know, I'm thinking of one in particular that sells packaging machinery and, and they might sell a handful of units a year, mm -hmm. but they're million dollar plus sales. And mm -hmm. the sales cycle is, you know, 12 to 18 months. So you can't do something in January and then shut it down by June because there's not revenue there. But, you know, what the, so the things you need to be looking at is, our tra is traffic growing, is visibility of our content growing, um, listenership on a podcast like this, or um, is, you know, are, are leads being generated from that content? And are they the right types of leads? Do they match our ideal customer profile pretty well? Is there pipeline revenue associated with this? Even if it hasn't closed yet, are we quoting business with the right types of customers that can be traced to this? So those are things to be looking at. Um, now, on the other side of things with, with lead gen marketing, like there's you should be able to over at at some point in time be able to start tracing revenue back and mm -hmm. all the analytics software that's available to us these days and you know not only things like google analytics but when you get into you know using say hubspot or a, an automation software now you can get analytics on specific individuals and start to you know start to identify patterns this thing we did this piece of content you know over the last 12 or 24 months generated this many leads and this many were sales qualified and this much work was quoted and this much closed so it's certainly possible to do. I think you just need to, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt and realize that there are things you're going to do specifically for results in the short term and other things that are there to build the brand over the long term. And I think one thing, especially with manufacturing is you hit on it perfectly. There's a long sales cycle mm -hmm. typically like it's tip. Mm -hmm. It's not often that something is, you know, being sold like a transaction on Amazon. Right. Typically there's an engagement process. There's some customization and it takes a little while to do it, but I love the way you put the two sides around it. There's that lead gen aspect, but there's also that brand marketing aspect to it as well, where you build up that expertise. Yeah. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Concept Systems, who you can find at conceptsystemsinc.com. Concept Systems is an independent systems integrator and your automation solution partner for anything from antiquated control system retrofits to greenfield controls coordination and project management. Whether it's process or discrete control, Concept Systems has been doing this for over 20 years. 
They've partnered with best-in-class companies like Rockwell Automation and Fnook to conceptualize, design, and build automation systems that include everything like robotics, vision systems, and manufacturing intelligence solutions. Personally, I've been familiar with Concept Systems for a couple years now, and I have to say I'm a huge fan of the amazing team they have over there. With national presence across the U.S., they have application experience in more than just a few industries, including food and beverage, aerospace, automotive, building products, and metals, just to name a few. If you have a project coming up requiring an automation solution partner or even a main automation contractor, head over to conceptsystemsinc.com and get in touch. They take an extremely methodical, risk-mitigating approach to project management that allows you to hit your project timelines and keep focusing on your core business. Oh, and if you want to hear a bit more about Concept Systems, make sure to check out Episode 7 of Manufacturing Happy Hour, which is our panel discussion on smart manufacturing, featuring Concept Systems' very own Director of Sales and Marketing, Ryan Wasmond. And now, back to today's episode. Gosh, there's, there's a ton we could talk about. I do want to dive into content creation a mm-hmm. bit more, specifically in a term that you mentioned to me the first time we spoke and that in this space and a lot of what you do with your clients is knowledge extraction. And we've kind of hinted at this throughout the interview so far, but what do you mean by that and how does that play into how companies go about creating the most relevant content for their ideal customers? Sure. So the term content marketing was you know, it was dubbed by uh, Joe Polizzi, the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, it's probably 15 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just common common speak now in, in the marketing world. And um, but with you know, the, the idea is you are creating resources that add value for your audience in some way. And um, so it, it's it's not about you know talking about yourself, but it's about those issues that you know they're, they're trying to address, um, and the the best content is just it's going to come from the brains of your experts. Like that's that's the reality. Five ten years ago, you'd see B two B companies saying, "Hey, we got to do this content marketing thing." They'd go hire you know a, an agent, a content agency, or, or some freelancer, and they'd start you know they'd say, "Okay, make some content about this topic." And this person who knows nothing about the industry goes and does some keyword research and just starts you know writing a bunch, of, frankly, garbage, right? And and maybe they started ranking in the search engines, but people would find that content and it wouldn't resonate because it was, mm-hmm. it was thin or very surface level. And so, you know, th- I think the shift in the, in the past few years is there's been this like oversaturation of content out there online. Mm-hmm. The manufacturing sector has been lagging, but at the mm-hmm. same time, everybody's doing some form of content marketing now or they're starting to. And so the, the stuff that's going to differentiate you is when you can publish, you know, truly expert insights that are, are, you know, are meaningful to your audience that help them Mm -hmm. during their buyer's journey early on when they don't, you know, they, they know they have a problem, but they don't know how to solve it. And they're trying to compare, you know, one way to do it versus another, when they're looking at things like total cost of ownership and, um, you know, ROI on one solution versus another. And, um, I mean, there, there are just so many, so many things you can speak to. And the reality is like, yeah, you can go have somebody produce that content for you. And we do that for our clients. Um, but 
it's the insights have to come from your people and the, and you know, their expertise. So, you know, what I find is, you know, engineers tend to not want to write content. It's just, you know, they've got a, <laughs> a, they've right. got a job to do and B, they don't yeah. want to write content. And if they do, it's often super technical in nature. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, that, that, that's not just a blanket statement, but it's something, you know, we consistently see and, and it's hard to produce that content. So I think the the process of facilitating knowledge extraction and producing that content is, is the role of the marketer, whether that's somebody mm-hmm. inside your company, an internal marketing hire, whether it's an agency like Gorilla, whether it's a freelancer you use, it's the job of that person, as my journalists do, to understand the subject enough so they can ask the right questions of the right people. But then to you know to sit here like we're doing right now and, and just have a conversation. So mm-hmm. you know, interview the subject matter expert about a very specific topic, then go supplement it with some research, then produce the content. So we're taking you know the extraction part, we're taking the insights out of their brain and helping them produce content out of it. Love that approach. First of all, I have to quote you on this. The best content is going to come from the brains of your experts. I want everyone listening to this show <laughs> to take that one in because it, there's there's just so many resources within these companies that know so much. And if marketers and the companies in general can just pull it out and do it in a cool novel and, you know, in many ways, repurpose, whether it's blogs, videos, etc. So many different ways to expose that to the world and have it help them, like you said, through the buyer's journey, something that uh, when they need to make a decision, whether that's one month, six months, a year down the line, they have that info because that company has already provided it. Yep. Um, awesome answer. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is, and I'm going to, this is, this is kind of a specific question, but I love another story from you to put this into an example. Like I, as you go through these strategies with your clients quite a bit to start bringing out that knowledge, but is there, can you give one where it was just like a little simple thing one of your clients did to create something that just had massive impact, you know? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. So there's one of my favorite examples. It's a, a St. Louis company um, called CK Power. And these guys are manufacturers and value-added resellers of like diesel-powered engines and generators. Um, they, you know, these are pretty big ticket items, complex sales. You know, they're dealing with multiple people on the buyer's end. Um and so this was a few years back when there were these EPA regulations on the horizon called final tier four, and they were all about emission, you know, emissions essentially. And, and, um, and all of their, what we learned from you know, talking to their team and, and the sales team members on over at CK power was that you know, all their sales conversations sort of were starting to center around like, okay, these, this final tier four things coming, um, you know, we've got new products to buy. We've got existing products to retrofit. Like, what do we need to know here about final tier four so we can make the right buying decision so we can make sure our equipment's compliant. And so it was, it was very clear to us that the, the, the thing they had to do was become the expert. I mean, they already were, they understood the subject, but publicly become the expert on everything final tier four. So we helped them craft a content strategy around that, which was, you know, comprised of written content, uh, infographic content, you know, downloadable white papers that went into more depth on the topic. And still to this day, I mean, you can get online right now and Google search things like final tier four, final tier four problems, 
final tier four engines and and you're going to find them and you're going to find the content that they uh, that you know that was produced specifically for that campaign and so what what's great is you know the it's all tied back to what their customers care about and and it's a, a testament to trying to mimic the things that are going on in your sales conversation on the marketing side and it's why marketing and sales have to um, have to be really in sync and they have to be talking regularly. What what do customers care about? What are prospects talking about? That's the stuff that should bri- drive your marketing content. And so, f- you know, over the course of, of, you know, one to two years following all this content getting published, you know, their traffic, their organic traffic out of Google searches skyrocketed. I think it went like three times what it was. Um, lead generation followed suit where, you know, it, it tripled or quadrupled over that period of time. And because they had the right software systems in place, they could they could say, okay, this you know these leads that bought from us and resulted in this much revenue can be traced back to a, you know an organic search in Google or a, a, you know an unpaid search for something related to Final Tier Four because that's the page they landed on out of search. So now you're it's it's traceable revenue to the marketing initiative, and and because of the volume and engagement on that content, you know that you know, this is sticking and this is something they need to be doing more of. So we've, we've used that with them to, you know, replicate that for other things that their customers care about. But that, that's really, I think, a, a good tangible example. Oh, that's a killer example. I mean, so one, I'm going to, it sounds like it won't be too hard for me to find final tier four for me to uh, pop it into the show notes, given, uh, yeah. given the success it's had on Google. Yeah, so exactly. for anyone listening, uh, you can check the show notes at manufacturing happy hour for that, or just search for final tier four to, to yeah. see it pop up naturally. But it, you know, that was a great example because it tied back a lot of the points you made earlier. You mentioned it took one to two years following this, that, keyword searches skyrocketed like Mm -hmm. this isn't just something that happens overnight but if you make those smart investments and if you know your client and you're creating you know content around your ideal clients Mm -hmm. those things can have exponential impact years Mm -hmm. down the line yeah and the beauty of it you know to build on that just a little bit is like they actually turned results pretty quickly on that like Mm -hmm. within a few months but the uh, when you make that investment and you can get inbound marketing right, you know I always compare, you know I, I compare it to owning real estate versus renting. Like if you can rank in the top three spots for you know a really important keyword that has a decent search volume, um, and hold that spot down, you know you're gonna you're gonna keep producing leads and traffic and leads for that. It well into the future until somebody has created a better piece of content on the internet that's going to leapfrog that in, in the sure. rankings. So there, it, there's a sustainable element to it. You almost own the real estate uh, in the search engines versus, say, paying for an ad. You, you pay for an ad in a, in a trade journal or pay-per-click. Well, when you stop paying for the ad, your visibility goes away. You're renting access to your audience as opposed to sort of owning that access to your audience. Well, and you as a podcaster now know that it's all about having that evergreen content. You know, mm-hmm. in the manufacturing technology world, it's hard to say something's going to be evergreen for five or 10 years, but certainly you want something with a shelf life of a few years, if you can, that can really drive in those type of inbound leads that you're talking about. Um, a related topic to content, kind of changing it up a little bit, but I see many manufacturers or folks in the industrial space 
with social media accounts that basically say happy Thanksgiving, you know, happy holidays. And that's that's all I see on there. You know, I'm curious, where does where does the social media strategy play into this? How do you get that right? So it's not just showing that your company has a pulse, but it's actually something that plays into your content strategy as well. Yeah. Yeah. I see the same thing. You know, it's uh, company picnic photos and, you know, the office dog and stuff. And, and you know, there's the <laughs> element of that that maybe has a place in, in mm-hmm. Facebook or uh, Instagram or, or something. If, you know, like we will use it for ourselves and some of our clients, like some of these, these platforms too, is more of a, a way to showcase culture and help right. with, say recruiting and stuff. But when you think about marketing for the purpose of driving business, um, you know, I think there's, I think that LinkedIn is a, a it, there's like a, a blue ocean there. There's just, there's so much potential, uh, that's untapped among manufacturers. Um, and especially as the platform gains more traction and more people are starting to use it in, in the manufacturing world. Um, and so th- there's, there's a lot of power in, you know, building a personal network, especially if you are in sales in the manufacturing sector. Um, and then, you know, if you think about all, all these things we've talked about today, like producing content that is insightful in nature, that, you know, answers common questions and solves problems, your people are the distribution vehicle for that content on mm-hmm. LinkedIn and, and mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe elsewhere online. I, I just kind of focus on LinkedIn because I think it's where, where the most potential lies. If you can build sure. a network of, you know, the right people and you pull little snippets of that content or you reshare the videos and, and use LinkedIn as a publishing platform in itself, um, you know, or, or let's say you're using LinkedIn as an outreach platform to, you know, connect with potential prospects. Well, rather than, you know, sending them a message like an in-mail or direct message that says, you know, introduces yourself and starts talking about how, you know, all the awesome stuff you sell. What if you just del- used, used a connect request to deliver, you know, hey, we just published this article about five ways to uh, improve productivity on the manufacturing floor in, in food manufacturing facilities or whatever, whatever that audience is, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the article. Hope it's helpful. Like that's your connect request. Um, so I think, I think that through the person, you know, it takes some strategy, but through the personal networks, um, of, of your team and in particular your sales team, uh, on LinkedIn, I think there's, there's a lot that can be done there. And then I also think that, from a paid media perspective, you know, like that, the organic stuff, it takes work. Like you got to have a strategy, you got to do the work, you got to work through individuals, plat, uh, you know, personal networks. But I also think that there's a, a massive potential on the the paid social, you know, can you take the $5,000 you've been dropping into that print journal for the last 35 years and reallocate it to, you know, creating a two minute video where you've got a professional who's put a camera on one of your experts talking about how to solve this specific problem. And then we go on LinkedIn and and say, LinkedIn, show this video to these 1000 people who fit our ideal customer profile. Mm -hmm. We're starting to, you know, we do this for ourselves. We're doing it for our clients. And, you know, I had a a meeting with one client this morning where we were reviewing some of these like this one little two minute video that we pulled from an audio interview. It was just a phone call interview that we recorded. And then we, you know, put it behind a little graphic and, um, and you know, it's, it's technically it's a video file, but it plays like audio in a LinkedIn feed. And we use that as a piece of content to promote via paid social. Well, they had like 800 full views of this video over the last two weeks. 
Um, so 800 people spent two minutes hearing them talk about this topic. Like that is super powerful. And when, when the same people start to see these things over and over this insight, and then this one, and then this one, you know, that's mm -hmm. one of those things that it, it's, it's hard to measure a direct result in the short term, but you know, their phone's going to start ringing more and they're going right. to start seeing more traffic to their site from the right people with that kind of visibility. Well, that's great. I mean, that's great analytics you can get from it. Like you're just talking about like 800 full views is extremely important. Yeah. That means yeah. 800 people stuck around from beginning to end. Yep. Like that's huge. That's more so than, you know, you can scroll down LinkedIn and be like, you know, hey, X piece of content made mm -hmm. X number of impressions, but you don't know how many of those impressions were just like zoom in right by exactly. without much, without much consumption. Yep. Um, and I love that you brought up both the paid aspect as well as the social aspect. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people miss, you know, one, if not both of those, where if you can get your, the rest of the people at the company, for example, whether they're in marketing or not sharing that type of piece of content, you have a relevant way to build a relationship with someone specific to LinkedIn, like you're saying in a lot of ways. Yep. I, I tend to double down on that platform just because I think the simple lesson is you go where your audience is yeah. and you, you know, for a fact, people in B2B are hanging out on LinkedIn. There's no yep. doubt about that. I think there are ways you can, you know, get Instagram to work for you and platforms like that. But it it's not maybe it's not as I I'd say LinkedIn is the starting point and yep. like get that right and then move into the other spots. At least that's that's me sharing some of my own philosophy there. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, as we get to the end here, a few more questions, but you have a new podcast out and mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how that's going, what it's all about. I mentioned it a bit at the start, but since we're on a podcast, let's get meta. What's uh, What yeah. can folks expect from the manufacturing executive? Yeah. So we um, we, we launched the podcast in, uh, in June. Let's see, you and I are recording this in early August. I think there are eight episodes live. I think I've recorded 10 of them. And so it, it, every Tuesday morning, a new episode comes out, but it's called The Manufacturing Executive. And, and really the focus of the show um, is to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be and have been interviewing, you know, CEOs and VPs of sales at manufacturing organizations. And then also people who are marketing and sales experts who can bring something unique to the table that maybe I, I'm not. Um so, you know, I've had a few authors of, of sales books that I've already interviewed. I've had a couple authors of manufacturing books that I've interviewed. Mm -hmm. um, and then a few you know, manufacturing leaders of organizations. But the, it, the whole show is focused on growth for manufacturers. And I want to attack it from a, a few different angles as opposed to it just being about marketing, which is really my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I want to put the spotlight on experts in uh, yeah, not only marketing, but sales. Um, you know, I'd love to get some people talking about, uh, you know, building culture and, and retaining employees and recruiting people, especially in this, this age of, you know, industry 4.0, where, um, you know, everything's changing and, and with everything going on with COVID. Um, so attacking growth from a variety of angles, but that, that's kind of, kind of the idea. And it's so, so far been, been a success, had some good feedback. Mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of fun with it and learning a ton, just talking to people who are smarter than me at this topic and this topic and this topic. So, well, for the, for the audience out there that has not tuned in yet, I highly recommend it. I've listened to a few episodes myself. You definitely do have an all-star cast on there, Joe. And, sure. um, you know, everything you're saying about marketing plays into a podcast audience too. You got to know who your ideal listener is and it's not there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to want to know about the strategic and tactical marketing aspects. But like you said, if it's growth oriented and it plays into culture, you know, vary it up, do that too. It all, 
it all hits that that ideal audience. But I've got to ask, what's something that surprised you from like podcaster to podcaster? Something that's mm. been a challenge or more rewarding about the process? What's something that sticks out that you didn't necessarily expect when you jumped into podcasting? Well, you know, I, I, it was it was intimidating getting started because it's just a new medium. I, you know, I've I've written something like fifty thousand words over the last year to year and a half because I we practice what we preach at Guerrilla. I, I, I we publish a lot of content and I and I specifically write a ton. Podcasting was a brand new medium for me, and you know, I was I was I've always wanted to do it, or for the last few years I've wanted to do it, and and you know, I found getting into it that it's really not that hard. It's, it's the, you know, the production, I don't want to downplay that. Like, and we've hired a company to help us produce the podcast. Sure. I'll give Sweetfish Media a plug here because those guys are, are doing an awesome job for us. But interviewing people, you know, it's a matter of just having, finding people who are going to make good guests who can offer really good insights and just having a human to human conversation with them. You know, it's, it's a lot less uh, intimidating than I thought. I think do, doing the prep work is, is super important. And I know you do a lot of that on yours to set up a good interview. You got to come in asking the right questions, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've, I've found it to be like, I'm kind of getting into a flow of it now. And, um, and it's been, it's been a, a really rewarding experience and, and less, less intimidating than I expected it would be maybe. So. Well, I think you're doing a great job at it, but you you did touch on something that I I wanted to leave the manufacturing leaders with a little more advice. You know, you mentioned you were a little intimidating going into it. I mean, that's natural for everyone. You know, you're getting behind a mic, you're trying to do a good job. You want to put your best foot forward. And, you know, once you put it on the internet, you know, it's there for, for everyone to find forever and ever. So what advice would you give to manufacturing leaders to overcome their fear of content creation? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go with, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would, I would just say like start and, and, um, don't worry about perfection. I think that's the thing that Mm -hmm. everybody gets caught up on is, is I've even seen companies, you know, make all this content and then it takes months or, or it never goes live because you're waiting for perfection. And I get it. Like, you know, like, especially engineers, like the perfectionists, like they're technical people. They want it. It needs to work just right. Mm -hmm. But when you think about content for your organization, um, the longer you take to get it out there, the less time you have for somebody to find it and discover you and engage with you. And, and the beauty of digital content too, like maybe a podcast is a little different, but when you think about say written content, like, I go back and enhance a lot of my old content. I'll find a mistake. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll correct. I'll I'll go back and you know enhance something that's performed well but could perform better. You know, two years later, uh, and even in an episode like this, yeah, you're going to stumble over your words sometimes, and it's not going to be perfect, but it doesn't matter because you're doing it and your competitors not, and that's what that's what matters. You know, who's going to get the call? The person who's been publishing all these insights that have, have been helping their prospects for two years or, or the person who was mm-hmm. too afraid to hit the publish button. Right. No, great, great points. Uh, well, I mean, one, one thing that sticks out for me there is it, it, at least my own personal philosophy is when I see someone create content, even if it's not perfect, if the sound's a little off, if there's a coffee cup in the middle of the, you know, to the side of the camera, whatever it is, I'm still going to, you know, give them kudos and say, that's awesome. You know, keep making it like, cause you'll yeah. just keep, you know, the, the whole idea is it's never going to be perfect to start. Like yep. if I were to listen to the podcast episodes I did like three years ago, like I'd probably cringe a little bit, but you know, you got to put in that work to keep getting better and better at it. So for sure. 
Well, I've been loving this conversation today, Joe. For those of you listening, we have had Joe Sullivan from Gorilla76 on the show today. You can find him at Gorilla76.com. Make sure to look both of them up on LinkedIn. And I just got to say, Joe, it's been a pleasure today. Glad we finally got a chance for a long, thorough conversation. And I don't think this will be the last time we're talking. Yeah, my pleasure uh, being a guest. And we'll have to get you over on our show sometime soon, too. Sounds like a plan. Most importantly, we got to grab a beer in Milwaukee or St. Louis when the opportunity occurs. So for everyone listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here soon. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Joe and the gang over at Gorilla 76 for making this episode possible. We covered a lot of ground on B2B marketing today, and that won't be the last time we talk about this on the show. More on that in just a second. But as I was just mentioning, if you want to connect with Joe or Gorilla76 on LinkedIn or their website or access his new podcast, The Manufacturing Executive, anything from this show, you can find over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 24. In regards to that extensive marketing content that I mentioned coming up, you can learn all about this here on Manufacturing Happy Hour throughout the month of September 2020. In addition to more interviews with marketing leaders in the manufacturing sector, we actually have a pretty cool mini-series that's going to be running every Friday throughout the month of September. So stay tuned for that and make sure you're sending these episodes to your marketing friends at your company or within the industry. As we wrap up, if you want to leave a rating and review for this show, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. That'll take you directly to the iTunes platform, and it's super easy to leave that five-star rating. You just hit the five-star button, and to leave a review does not need to be a cumbersome task either. It can just be a couple sentences, and that helps us know what to do with the show, what type of content you like to hear, and it also helps put the show on the map so more manufacturing leaders like you can hear this content. Finally, thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Concept Systems, one of the best systems integrators in North America. Regardless of your industry, you'll want to reach out to these folks on your next automation project. And if you want to learn more about them, check back to episode seven of Manufacturing Happy Hour, where we actually got to feature one of their team members on this show. And that's it for this week. It was awesome hanging out with you today. We'll see you back here with another full-length interview next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.